Hello, and welcome to The Unique CPA. I'm your host, Randy Crabtree. Our goal is to keep you in the forefront of the changing face of public accounting by having conversations with fascinating leaders and bringing you their stories, insight, and advice. This podcast is brought to you by Trimerit, the technical leaders in specialty tax services. Today, our guest is Josh Lance. Josh is the founder and managing director of Lance CPA Group, which is a virtual CPA firm based in Chicago. His firm focuses on providing accounting and consulting services to a few niche industries. He is not only a CPA, but also a chartered global management accountant. In his early career, Josh was with a national CPA firm before working as a controller at an ultra high net worth family office. Josh has been honored by being selected to the 2017 class of the AICPA Leadership Academy and CPA Practice Advisor has named him as one of the 40 under 40 in not only 2017, but 2018 and 2019. Josh was recently appointed to the Illinois CPA Society Board of Directors and the AICPA PCPS Executive Committee. In addition, he is an adjunct professor at Northwestern University, and I can go on and on, but I think at this point, we need to let Josh speak. So Josh, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate you being on, and, and I think it was uh, meant to be, um, at least on my end. Uh, when I first started the podcast, I had been asking around if there was any interesting people that I needed to talk to about uh, uh, having an interview on the podcast, and your name came up two different times from two separate people on two back-to-back days. And I thought, well, okay, this is not just coincidence. We're going to have to, we're going to have to check into this Josh Lance guy and see what he's all about. So, so you were nice enough to, I think we did get an introduction email uh, through someone else, but you were nice enough to, uh, uh, to agree to uh, let me uh, give you a call and talk to you about the show. And then you were nice enough to get on. So I really appreciate that. I'm glad to do it. There's a, I'd like to jump into it, and there's a couple of things that I'd like to talk about. In that intro, there's, there's a few things that stick out to me. The first is i just curious about, about starting the firm. You were in public accounting, you left public accounting, and then you decided to get back in, but not only get back in to public accounting, get back in by starting your own firm. And I'm just curious how that whole process went about. Yeah, so I... Uh... I, I was in public account for a number of years. I had left there, you know, due to a lot, what you know, a lot of people leave public account for. Uh, went to the corporate world through a family office, uh, but then that family office had uh, decided to change its uh, headquarters from Chicago to San Francisco. And at that time, I had a young son and did not want to leave the Midwest. So um, I had some kind of time and runway to kind of think about what I wanted to do. And I've always been kind of an entrepreneur at heart, and so I. Um, I was kind of kicking around like ideas about starting different types of businesses and what I could do. And then uh, it really kind of came down to like, well, I'm, I know accountant, I'm an accountant. What if I started a CPA practice and kind of the way I wanted a CPA practice to look uh, and, and try my hand at that. And so uh, that was really kind of the, the jumping off point there was really having this kind of opportunity to kind of make this change and uh, kind of make kind of a leap of faith and start in a practice and kind of trying things the way I would want to do it and the way I thought firms should do it and, and seeing how that goes. So we've uh, been at it for about four and a half years now, and it's been uh, going really well. We've got a really great team on board now that we've uh, hired, and 
uh, working with a lot of great clients and then really kind of building the firm that we that we want to build. I think that's great. I'm just curious about when you did that from day one, because we mentioned in the intro that it's a, a virtual office, although we said virtual office a headquartered in Chicago. So obviously there is a, a space, but it, from what I understand, the virtual means that all your employees, everybody that works with you, it works remotely and, and it's all based on technology to keep everybody connected. Is that, it, I guess, what is a virtual office? Am I in the right place? Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that, that's really kind of, that's basically it. When I started the practice, you know, back in public accounting, I traveled a ton. I was on the road all the time and I did not want to do that again. And so as I thought about how I would service our clients and, and what ways I go about doing it, I'm um, just looking at the technology available and look at some of the more really kind of progressive firms out there and what they were doing. Uh, I saw the kind of idea of doing this in a virtual mindset. Uh, so, you know, all of our team is remote. They're all spread across the country. Uh, same thing with our clients. So we have clients here in this greater Chicago area, but we have a lot of clients that are across the country too. And so being able to kind of leverage technology to serve our clients, you know, wherever they're at, uh, using kind of cloud-based tools to be more real-time with them versus, you know, you know looking backwards uh, constantly uh, has allowed us to really kind of build a firm that uh, kind of serves the right type of clients and have the right type of people on board. Um, you know, we still kind of maintain ties to Chicago. So, you know, the, while virtual firm, you know, really doesn't have location, you know, I'm based in Chicago. And so, uh, you know, we kind of maintain ties to the, that location and, and, and serving clients, you know, there, but also across the country. Well, that, that brings a couple things to mind for me, but, but first off, from an employee standpoint, do you find it, well, how many employees do you have at this point? So we have a total of 14 people on our firm right now. Um, and so they, again, all remote and it's been pretty, I wouldn't say easy to get people on board, but it's, you know, being virtual and having a remote team has definitely allowed us to kind of expand the type of people we try to hire and get the really the right people we want on board. Yeah, I would think so. I mean, the biggest, you know, I, I, I'm fortunate that I get to talk to a lot of CPAs around the country and I go to a lot of conferences and the biggest topic at every conference or one of the biggest topics is being able to to attract and keep uh, good people within public accounting, and so do you feel this this virtual office? Does the virtual office also mean you know flexible time to get people work at you know three in the morning if they want? I mean, you're not requiring people to be sitting at their computer with uh, their video conferencing on from nine a.m. to five p.m. I'm assuming. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So people can kind of work when they want to work. Uh, we basically kind of establish, you know, deadlines of when things need to be done and when things need to get out to clients, but people can work, you know, whatever works best for them. So we have a lot of people who have, you know, kids in school. And so they'll work during while their kids are in school and maybe work some at night or on the weekends or whatever kind of fits best in their best in their calendar. Um, but it's really allowed us to really attract really good people as a result of that because we're offering something that most accounting firms don't offer or don't offer well. You know, my old, when I was in public accounting, our, my firm I was at, they started like kind of a flex time work arrangement type deal. Um, but when I actually kind of play down practice, those employees are kind of treated as second class citizens and, you know, the kind of bounds or boundaries there always got broken. And so, um, it didn't work well. So having, you know, being this kind of virtual model allows us to really have, uh, you know, kind of a good parameters of having uh, remote work work really well. And like I said, it gets us really good talent. So like this last time we had a hiring round, which was this past summer, we were getting people coming to us and we didn't want to go fish for people. Uh, we had people 
who heard about us or knew of us. And as soon as we had a job posting out there, we had all these applications come streaming in from really qualified and talented people. So uh, it's made hiring real, like I said, not easy, but it's made hiring uh, or puts us in a better position to hire than uh, most traditional firms. Uh, and we're able to kind of kind of build roles and responsibilities around, you know, the right kind of skill sets that we need uh, for our company as a result. That's great. Then, then from the um, client standpoint, you know, you've got this virtual practice. How is that interaction? Do you have face-to-face meetings still? Is everybody getting you everything electronically? Do you get on video calls? How is the interaction with your clients when you're, when you're all remote around the country? We do a lot of video calls. That's kind of our primary method of communication, which is great for people who are not in the greater Chicagoland area, uh, for myself to get in contact with them. Um, we'll still meet with people in person, particularly with one of the niche industries you serve. It's very beneficial to meet in person. Uh, and so we'll, we'll still do that. And I've gone even out and flown out to clients in, uh, in other parts of the country just to meet with them and spend some time with them. But we try to do all of our communication and kind of work virtually, get all of our information from our clients virtually, uh, which really allows us to kind of serve them uh, when and where they're at and, and results in, I think, a better client experience overall. It's not just a do some work and kind of wait and see type of thing, but it's a, it's a way we can really be collaborative uh, and really kind of work strongly with each other when we have this kind of dynamic set up. Yeah, it's nice because it's not, you're not waiting for, all right, we're going to meet together next week at 2 p.m. at this place. I mean, if you need to meet and you're doing it virtually and you can get all get online immediately, it's kind of nice to have that that option. So I yeah. can see that. Yeah. And, I, and I can see uh, a lot more firms trying to do things like this. I think you're uh, ahead of the game a lot. And I think you've done a nice job in four and a half years building up the 14 people now and, uh, and servicing you said companies around the country, right? Or even around the world, or is it around the country that you're currently? Yeah, no, we have, we have clients globally too, which is kind of fun. It's exciting to, you know, interact with some of those clients. You know, we have some clients in Australia, and so, you know, we'll do calls with them, and it's 5 o'clock our time, and it's the morning the next day for them, and we're still able to work and interact and get things done. So it, it's kind of exciting to be able to work with people globally and, and, and interact with them in that way. That's great. So I want to. I think we should veer into that because you did mention it uh, a couple minutes ago. The niche industries. So not only did you start and have this idea that you wanted to build this firm, you know, based on technology and based on uh, virtual offices, but there was a couple of industries that you also were concentrating on from the start. And I don't know if it was one from the start and you veered up, up to another. But can you kind of explain those industries that you're working with? Yeah, so we, uh, the first primary industry we work with is craft breweries. Uh, and so that was one that we, uh, that I honed in on from the start of the firm, uh, working with craft breweries. I had, you know, I've been a home brewer. I had a friend who is a really serious home brewer and thinking about starting a brewery. Um, so got a lot of expertise and kind of industry knowledge from that. Uh, and so we uh, had that as kind of our first kind of core industry to work with. Uh, and then, you know, a couple years back, uh, we added on digital agencies as that second industry uh, and really started really that from having those com- type of companies come to us. Um, just the kind of way we brand ourselves and market ourselves and have our website set up, we were actually tracking digital agencies to us. Um, and so we decided to kind of create that as our kind of second niche industry that we work and serve with. So, um, uh, you know, the vast, vast, vast majority of our clients are in one of those two buckets. 
Uh, and it's, it's a lot of fun working in those industries because they're both very creative people and both very passionate about what they do. And so it's fun to be in that industries and, and be there working with them and, uh, and help, help them lead their companies. So I think uh, being a niche accountant, or, or how would you define that? In a niche, you're in a niche CPA, a niche firm, a niche. I mean, is there a term you say for that? Or you... Yeah, I'd say we, uh, you know, we we kind of call it niches. Uh, so we are a, a highly uh, highly niched firm um, because we kind of focus on those two industries and don't focus on anyone else at all. So we're not right. going to do dentists or doctors or restaurants or retail shops or things like that because they're not in our industry. So I was, uh, when I was in public uh, and I was in public for quite a while, you know, I was proud of the fact that I considered myself a generalist. And then when I got into, uh, my partner and I started Trimerit about 13 years ago, and we, we concentrate just on a few specific areas of the tax code, becoming an, a specialist or working in that niche industry, I didn't realize how much more fun that was. And I, I'm assuming being able to concentrate on just one industry or two industries, you know, the, allowing you to dig deeper into that industry and be the expert and the person that someone's going to come to. I don't know. I find that enjoyable. I'm assuming you do as well, right? Yeah, I do. I think you get to learn and get really deep in those industries and really learn more about them than you would if you're just kind of a generalist and kind of picking up one of those types of clients here and there. It allows us, I think, also to serve our clients much better because we know their industry so well. We know all the things are going well or not going well and the kind of trends within the industry. We're able to guide and lead our companies that we work with uh, much more better than if we were just kind of working with anyone that came to us. So it's really allowed us to kind of get really established, really deep in the industry, um, which allows us, I think, really to serve our clients much more uh in a much more fuller way as a result. And I'm going to concentrate on craft beer for a minute because that's one of my passions is, is craft beer. And, and, and I think you and I offline have talked about this before, but I, I am part owner of a craft beer bar in Chicago. And so it is a little bit of a passion of mine. So I find that if I was back in public, I would love to be in that niche. But being in that niche and knowing that you are, you know, the go-to guy that you can dig deep, does that help? Obviously, from a marketing standpoint, you mentioned that, but are, are, are clients coming to you? Are you are you having to work hard to go out and get clients? And I'm sure you're still working on it, but I'm guessing it helps bring clients to you directly just from them knowing that you are the firm out there. It does, yeah. It, it definitely gives us a kind of established kind of, you know, kind of expert leadership in that area. So it's allowed us to really have, you know, like you said, have clients come to us because they hear about us or know about us and they know that they want to work with someone that has that expertise. And so... Um, we get a lot of breweries who just come to us and say, hey, like, I know you work with these breweries or I've heard you um, speak at these conferences and I'd love to have you come uh, and, and talk and see if we can you know, work together. And so that's, that's been really good. You know, we do a lot on the content marketing perspective, too, to kind of keep reinforcing that out there through the blog posts that we put out there, social media that we do um, as a way to say, yeah, we're on top of the industry. We know what's going on um, and we can use that expertise to help, you know, make your brewery a better business. Uh, uh, overall as a result. Yeah, I would think that social media, uh, marketing, networking, uh, blogging would be huge, especially in, in that industry. It seems like every brewery out there is constantly on Instagram and everything else just showing what they got. So if they see you out there too, I'm sure that helps a lot. It does. It does. It definitely having that kind of presence there in social media 
um, has, has helped tremendously because it, uh, you know, there's a number of clients that we've got in the brewery industry who saw us because we were posted on social media and interacted with other breweries on social media. And we're like, why is why is this accounting firm, why is this accounting firm interacting with breweries and what's going on here? And that's uh, that's opened the doors. So that's been that's been cool to see. Nice. It's nice, I guess, uh, education into marketing and it, you don't have to, I'm assuming, spend tens of uh, tens of thousands of dollars to get out there and get your name out as long as you're out there in a space where other people can see you and they, they feel you have a, a good message to tell. It, it can help mm -hmm. a lot. That's exactly it. Yeah. Um, so I want to go into one thing that I read recently about you and I've been hearing this from more and more firms lately. And I think this may have been a decision you started when you started the firm, you could tell me, but did I see that you don't track time, that, you, that your projects or your, your, your engagements are based on uh, value pricing? That is correct. Yeah, that was, that was one of the things from being in public accounting that I hated doing was tracking time. Uh, I felt like I was, it was just a big old waste of time because in a lot of the engagements we worked on, they were fixed fee price. So we're going to charge the same amount from that client, regardless of how many hours I put into that engagement. We spent so much time doing it and spending focus and effort on uh, how much time was put into each thing. And, and what, you know, as I saw in the industry was a lot of times that people were putting their time in, they were just, they're kind of fudging those numbers a bit because they had a boss telling them like, well, you can only charge five hours for this job. And so they charge five hours, you know, it took them seven hours or 10 hours. Um, and so you had all this bad data coming through. Uh, that we all knew was bad, and then we were trying to judge and make estimates and management decisions based off of it, which we knew were off of bad numbers. And so uh, I just kind of had frustration with it being in public. And so when I started my firm, I was like, we're not going to track time with jobs. We're going to value price because I think that's, one, it's a better way to go about doing it. Uh, I think it creates a better collaborative relationship with our clients. So clients aren't afraid to call us on the phone or shoot us an email uh, and ask a question because that's kind of part of their engagement and they're not going to get billed by the hour for that phone call. Um, and we've had a number of clients come to us who were frustrated by that with their prior accountants where felt like they couldn't ask any questions and so they didn't or they kind of asked them all at once and it was kind of after the fact and it didn't work as well. Um, so that's really worked well for us. And I think it also helps uh, kind of define kind of scope and what the value is to the client and what problems we're actually trying to solve for the client. Uh, I think as you go through the sales process in more of a value-based mindset, you start to hit on really what they care about and what they don't care about. And so if they really don't care about some fancy charts and graphs, let's not make them fancy charts and graphs. Let's do what they care about and what makes the most sense. Um, it allows us to alter them just to better, better serve our clients as a result. Yeah, I, I first heard about this phenomenon in my mind probably 10 years ago, a pretty yeah. decent sized firm that I was friends with. They had a uh, time card burning party um, and I haven't really kept up with them to see how that went. But I, at the time I was thought, wow, this is, uh, this is cutting edge stuff. Don't know if it was, but in my mind it was, but I was all for it because time tracking was my least favorite thing in, in public accounting. And, 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 I, and I agree. And I've, I've learned that too, but I hear that all the time from people now that that's really the way every firm should be going. And I, I agree with it. I don't know if they are, but uh, I think uh, again, another, you're on the cutting edge of all these, uh, <laughs> of all these things. And I'm really interested to see where, uh, where this takes you as you are you i'm assuming your goal is continued growth are you seeing where it takes you do you have goals where you want this firm to be i mean do you have an idea what you'll be doing in five years ten years uh, or plans 
Yeah, we've uh, we've spent a good amount of time kind of focusing on kind of what our our growth strategy is and and kind of meeting those kind of targets. So we've kind of done these kind of three year kind of iterations of what the strategic plan is and uh, and kind of say, okay, where do we want to be here in the next year? What kind of growth do we want? What's too much growth? What's not enough growth? And that's really been helpful and kind of kind of shape where we want to go and knowing when we have to put down the pedal on the accelerator or when we need to step off it. Um, so like right now we're in a period of time where we've stepped off the accelerator because we kind of met our growth goals and targets and, and growing more would be, I think, uh, painful for everyone involved. And so uh, we, we put, you know, taking the foot off the gas, we'll, we'll, you know, put that foot back on the gas next year and kind of hit some more targets that we want to hit. So um, our goal is, you know, kind of continue to grow this firm, grow it uh, in a way that's healthy and sustainable and uh, is uh, allows our employees to kind of uh, be proud of the work they're doing and, and, and excited to be along for the ride. And so um, that is kind of what our, kind of our kind of goal plan here is in the next few years. Well, I was going to ask you about the uh, CPA practice advisor three years in a row on uh, on 40 under 40. I mean, that seems like an accomplishment. Uh, is that uh, unprecedented? Has that happened before? Do you have any idea on that? I, I'm not sure. I, I wouldn't be surprised if it's happened before. Uh, I keep on getting the comment that I'm, I, I must be aging out of that pool yet, and I'm not. I wasn't going <laughs> to ask the same question. How many years no, I, can you still qualify? I still, I, I'm 36, so I still have a couple of years left of qualification here. So. All right, I think we need to put a big push on, and let's see if we can get like seven, eight. Uh, can we make eight, seven years in a row at least? Yeah. Um, and and uh, and then set the all-time record, and no one will be go. able to beat there it. But the, but I can see. So the point is, I can see why now with all these innovative things that you're working on the 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 virtual office, the uh, niche practice, which I am a big fan of, the as well as the value billing, the value pricing, all of that I'm a big fan of. So so I can see why uh, uh, they are impressed with you. And, and, and uh, I won't ask you if they know if there's anybody else under 40 they could be talking to, because obviously there is, and there's a reason that they're talking to you. Yeah. Uh, so that, that's awesome. But what I'd like to do, and, and, and we're about time to, uh, I think, start wrapping things up, Anything you wanted to add uh, that we didn't talk about so far? Um, you know, I think, uh, you know, one of the things that we're really passionate about in our firm uh, is really kind of our core values and leading and living into the core values and culture that we have. Um, you know, because we're remote and because uh, we have our team kind of spread across the country, like it's not as, it's not as easy to build a culture, but I think it's just as important or even that more important having people across the country and work remote, you know, you can kind of feel on the island if you don't have other people are interacting with. So we've built yep. in things to allow our team to really kind of work and, and lean in with a culture that allows us to do some kind of fun things together. So we do things like bring everyone together in Chicago a couple of times a year for a company retreat. Um, we do things like virtual happy hours uh, where we turn on our cameras at time and we're not here to talk about work. We're just here to, you know, talk to each other and, and have fun. We'll do weekly kind of team meetings, just checking out on everyone and how everyone's doing. But really kind of building that culture part, I think is important because you could have a, a, a bunch of great remote workers, but they feel isolated. They're not going to stick around. And that, you know, having a good culture makes, you know, people sticky and, and, and stick around for a, a long time. So by and large, our employee base, you know, we hire them and they don't leave. And so that's good. So we're excited to kind of continue to build our firm. We'll have people here who want to be here and excited to be here and, and, and buy into the culture that we're trying to uh, create and establish. 
That's a really good point, and I'm glad you brought that up because that's something that I think is very important, especially with you know individuals working at home by themselves. We have that same situation where we have a handful of people in a couple office, but then we have a lot of people that work remotely around the country, and we do the same thing you do: get together a couple times a year. In fact, we're getting together in Orlando in a um, in about six or seven weeks, and and that type of thing. I think is important to get everybody together. How about professional growth, personal growth type stuff? Stuff with your employees? Is there, uh, you know, education classes that they are able to take or that you, you concentrate on or anything that way? Yeah. I mean, we, you know, being virtual remote, we kind of rely on a lot of kind of virtual webinars and things like that. Um, Cause I think that works well, but when we come together uh, we the retreat to do a lot of in-person training too, uh, spending some time, it's like, let's talk about some areas where we can all grow together. Uh, and, and, and that's good. And then we also do, we'll go to, conferences and things like that together uh, and, and be there in person for those. So there's also another kind of fun time to interact with each other uh, and spend some time learning together and talking and processing um, because, you know, I think everyone's got really great perspectives that they come from uh, and having that those kind of diverse views and voices together allows us to build a better company as a result. And so uh, that's kind of really exciting for us to be able to kind of do those things together uh, and learn from each other. I know you were at a conference last week. Did anybody else from the firm go out there with you? Uh, for that conference, it was just me. Uh, we had, uh, it was a conference uh, a week before that where I had six of our team members together on that, which was a lot of fun. So it, it's fun to kind of get them, get them together and, and, and learn different things or even just hear the perspective on things that I may not have picked up, but they did. And, and it uh, allows us kind of a different vantage point on how we can be a better company as a result. All right. Well, so I want to, I want to, I do want to, I did say I was going to wrap it up before, but that was a, a great segue we went into there. So I appreciate that. What I would, would like to do is, is kind of wrap it up now. And what I would like to ask you is more of a fun question. And because of your niche industry, I thought I'd asked if you, uh, if tied in with that craft brewery industry, do you have a favorite? And I guess I won't ask brewery unless you want to say it, or favorite brewery, favorite beer style, uh, anything in that way that, uh, uh, that you like to expand on? Yeah. Uh, so I like, you know, having been in a part of the industry for a while, uh, you know, you kind of see different fads or different kind of, you know, things kind of come and go. One of the things I really have enjoyed recently are more kind of traditional English style beers. So ESBs and um, some kind of, you know, mild ales and cask ales and things like that. So those are kind of, I think, on my favorite list right now, as well as because now we're entering into... Uh, some of the colder months, you know, the porters and stouts and kind of those heavier beers. Those are fun to drink in the winter. So um, I think those are kind of my styles I'm leaning towards right now. I'm kind of a little bit, kind of a little bit over IPAs right now. So I get these kind of seasons where I'm like, all right, I can't do another IPA for a while. But um, right now it's kind of those traditional English style ales are kind of my, kind of my go-tos right now. I, I agree with you completely. The same, the same way with that. Uh, um, I was fortunate that I was in London a few weeks ago and got to try some nice uh, ESBs and uh, bitters on cask and uh, enjoying that London beer was was a lot of fun. But same thing with IPAs that you said. I go I go up and down. I'll, I'll, I'll go through them for a while and then it's time. All right, let's turn it off. But I am looking forward to some nice stouts coming up. To that end, any chance you're going to the festival of barrel aged beer that's in Chicago this weekend? Uh, I I may find myself there on Saturday. Yeah, I'm hoping to be there on Saturday. So, well, if you do, uh, uh, have a great time. I have not been to that one, and I heard it's an awesome event. It is. It is a great event. Lots of incredible beers and breweries there, and so it's a it's always a fun one to go to. 
All right. Before we wrap it up, uh, how can people get a hold of you or get in touch with you or see you online? Uh, what's the What's the best way? Yeah. So you can uh, get me on Twitter at LanceJD1 or on Instagram at JoshuaLance82, or you can email me at Josh at LanceCPA.com. All right. Well, again, I really appreciate you being on the show, you know, from that uh, cold call you got from me to, to join in. I had a great time today on the conversation. Great. Thanks. I'm glad to be here and it's fun talking. All right. Well, thank everybody for joining us today. You can find all the links and show notes for today's episode, as well as more about Trimerit at theuniquecpa.com. Remember to subscribe and join us for our next episode, where we'll be going beyond compliance, forging new pathways of delivering value to your clients, diversifying your revenue streams, and discussing leading edge management styles and techniques.